On today's episode, I'm joined by Jaden and Miles and special guest, Jeff Seward. Today's topic is a technical deep dive into muzzle tuners. Now, muzzle tuners are nothing new, but in the last few years, we've seen a huge popularity increase for their use in precision rifle sports. This podcast gets pretty into the weeds and is very technically dense, but if you've ever wondered about muzzle tuners and how they affect your barrel, you'll enjoy this podcast. I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on this week's episode of the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik, and to my left, I have senior ballistician, Jaden Quinlan, across the table, project engineer, Miles Neville, and special guest, author of Ammunition Demystified, been on the show many times, Jeff Seward. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, good to be here. I think the audience for this show is going to be pretty excited. You know, when, when you look at our analytics, the episodes that get the most comments, the most likes, the most interaction, the most views, the most downloads, they're generally the most technically dense episodes that we have. And people seem to just love them. Anytime we can really dig deep into the science of ballistics, it's just fun. It's exciting. And people love to learn about it. And we've got another one of those today. although. Well, I don't know. I was going to say this is going to be one of the more controversial episodes that we've recorded. However, if you look back at our past, there's been some that kind of put some ripples into effect on the internet, and and that's okay. Um, we're here to back it up, and before we devolve into small talk, I think we should dive right into it, and let's talk about muzzle tuners. Uh, those things are relatively new in large scale. You know, we see them, we saw zero of them, and then you go to a PRS match now, a lot of tuners going on. Mm -hmm. And I feel somewhat skeptical in some aspects of it. And um, I've never used one, never wanted to use one. Uh, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have found through your testing uh, to really dive into muzzle tuners and what the efficacy is. And not just muzzle tuners, just anything that you strap that has a weight to it. Any weight that you strap to the end of your muzzle, I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about that. So how I would like to break this podcast up into kind of digestible chunks, let's talk a little bit uh, from you guys about muzzle tuners, muzzle devices. And then Jeff, I want to hear from you on on the, the testing that you've done on the simulation side, um, because I think that's really valid. One, to hear, okay, here's what this really sophisticated calculator says should happen. And then I'd like to shift gears into, okay, we've shot this a bunch, what actually happened, and mm -hmm. to see if those two things line up. So muzzle tuners, um, I'm guessing they're not brand, brand new, but we've certainly not seen their popularity rise until the last couple of years. But tell me what I don't know and what the listeners may not know about muzzle tuners. Yeah, I think, I mean, they've been around quite a while. Oh, yeah. Several, the con the yeah, concept yeah. is not new at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like there's even the old Browning Boss. Muzzle brakes were adjustable. You could, you know, set screw mm -hmm. those in and out. Um, but the the concept basically is that, and I've heard several. the The general, the I guess the most popular one is that uh, basically you have them add a mass to the end of the muzzle to the end of the barrel, and that manipulates more or less the mode shape, the the vibration, like the vibration pattern of the barrel to to put 
you know, I've heard both ways, either a node or an anti-node at the muzzle, basically mm-hmm. either to keep it from moving or to put it in the point that is the same pivoting, not moving, motion. but is pivoting. Um, and the concepts vary um, from positive compensation to it uh, damps down muzzle movement and, and produces less dispersion. I mean, that's the general... Right. So the goal of the tuner is to reduce dispersion. Yeah, either to reduce dispersion wholesale and make smaller groups or to positive compensate and tune for some vertical to get your vertical, you know, your slow shots go high, your high, your fast shots go low, and then mm-hmm. they come back together at some determined range. Allegedly. With some percent efficiency, yeah. Okay. Well, the word tuner is important to break down too because... <clears throat> That insinuates that there's some sort of adjustment mechanism that's built into the thing to allow you to tune it. Tuning meaning better or worse than, you know, kind of a stronger or weaker signal, you could think of it as. Okay. Um, and you see that with the majority of those devices, even the old ones. I, I think of uh, if you've ever went to a gun shop and you see a rifle, you know, laying up against the rack that's got some sort of like big black kind of rubbery thing. Oh, the limb saver. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that thing sitting on the barrel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's an old method, and that one was to move up and down the barrel, and, and that rubber would help to damp any harmonics that occurred at a certain, you know, position on the barrel. And then, like, you have the old Browning Boss, which was an adjustable muzzle brake, and then the more popular tuners that, you know, you alluded to earlier that are kind of more tailored to the precision shooting world uh, come in the form of something that you attach to the muzzle, generally by the muzzle threads, and it has some sort of adjustment of weight of the thing usually there's like a sleeve that that is threaded and it can move forward or backwards which kind of changes the center of gravity i guess of the device itself attached Mm -hmm. to the barrel so i think in discussing tuners it's important to to talk about that because the other thing that we'll end up talking about is not only the efficacy of the adjustment of the tuning ability of the mechanism itself but also the effect of it on and off Mm -hmm. and which one is greater Okay. I'd like to stick my two cents worth in here. Um, Basically, what an added mass can do is one of two things. Either change the cross velocity or limit the pointing variability shot to shot to shot. Um, The studies that I've done have said that yeah, you can re- make a serious reduction in cross velocity. Okay, define cross velocity. So if the barrel is moving laterally as the shot exits, that's a cross velocity. Okay. Changing the pointing vector is a different thing. So that you're really changing the, the barrel movement is really changing where the where the bore center line is pointing. Okay, and that's important. Obviously, that's, that's yeah, and so the. The, all of the analyses we've done over the years have said that basically, if you look at the cross-velocity component of dispersion, there's two chunks. There's the angular rate chunk. There's the cross-velocity chunk. The cross-velocity chunk gets broken down into two bits, the first of which is that cross-velocity that we talked about, the actual barrel movement, and the other is the pointing changing. and all of the analyses we've done over the years have said that the pointing changing is the bigger chunk mm-hmm. by a large margin. Okay. Typically, the cross-velocity component, about 80% of it is pointing changing, and about only about 20% of it 
is the cross velocity component. And we'll talk a little more about that when we get into this. Okay. So let's let's talk about the the simulation before uh, we talk about simulating muzzle tuners. The simulation itself is pretty damn refined. I mean, very, very, very dense. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of history and tell you how uh, how where it's been used and how it's been used and um, what assumptions I made to do the the analytical part of this study. Um, basically, back in the mid '70s. A guy who was a PhD in structural dynamics wrote a piece of code to help solve a development problem for the 30 millimeter GAU-8, the BGU-14, the API development. wasn't going well. They uh, took some flash x-rays of the projectile right at muzzle exit, and they caught the bullet with the penetrator dynamically deflected off the center line. Mm. And so this guy was like, oh, we can solve that problem. And he wrote a piece of code, and in the in the years since then, that code has been expanded to include the interaction with the barrel, the a flexible bullet with a flexible barrel. Um, it's been expanded to include uh, muzzle velocity, pressure time curve uh, variability, uh, initial position of the projectile variability. Um, it's been used on Everything from 5.56 all the way up to 155. Whoa, that's quite a range. And yeah, and so it's tank guns, it's it's medium cal guns, it's small cal. Uh, We've done several studies with for small cal um, customers looking at the bullet barrel interaction over the years. So it's proven that that one piece of code that now has been just really expanded on and it, it's valid yes in the in the 50 years since it's been written we've used it on about 50 different projects so it gets it gets pretty frequent use mm-hmm. and we're always we're always um looking at what the results say does this make sense does this track what we think is going to happen mm-hmm. And um, then you test it with field results. And you test it with field results. And one of the big problems that you run into with small cal is there are no built-in clearances. So, you know, for medium cal, large cal, you know, the, the bullets can't be an interference fit. For small cal, that's a different story. And as a result, you have to make some numbers, put some clearances in, see how does it shut, how does the analytical machine tell you how this thing is going to shoot and sometimes you have to turn the knob a little bit okay and what can it miss yeah it can miss um stuff like jacket deposition on the on the lance you know no way to quantify that no the other thing we'll get into it but um does the jacket wear Sure it does. Mm. Can I put that in the code? Turns out you can. Oh. Turns out you can. By fooling the program and telling it it's it's a difference in land diameter. Oh, okay. So I, I actually thought that up during deer season this <laughs> year. <laughs> slow deer season. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was really slow, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's it's a sophisticated program that has been 
flushed out and checked against actual field results that it is an accurate program within, you know, a couple percent, it sounds like? Um, when you have the correct inputs. Okay. When you have the correct inputs. The Hornady Security Fireproof Keypad Safe. With a heavy-duty 16-gauge steel body, extra-thick 8-gauge steel door, and four 1-inch diameter locking lugs, the Fireproof Safe achieves a fire rating of 30 minutes for up to 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Both the interior and adjustable shelf are covered in a protective carpet that offers flexible storage configurations while safeguarding valuables from damage. The Fireproof Keypad Safe from Hornady Security. So with the qualified program that, that helps with this really deep analytical stuff when you apply muzzle tuner stuff to this program what were some of the the initial results that you were that you were able to get um <clears throat> so we evaluated a lot of different things i'd like to talk a little bit about what the baseline is okay and um give people an idea you know kind of where we what what the analysis is based on okay so what I simulated was a 24-inch long barrel, 30 caliber. Um, it's kind of a sniper taper. It's yeah, you know one point. That term's lost on me, unfortunately. Okay. But 1.18 inches at the back end, uh, three quarters of an inch, a little bit bigger at the muzzle end, and a linear taper in between. Perfect. Um, I've got a diagram. I can, guys will have to put that up on. Okay. And and also simulated a one-pound muzzle device, muzzle weight. weight. Okay. okay, that's probably larger than most most of the muzzle tuners that are out there. But I figured, you know, let's do that and see what it tells us, and then we can certainly adjust the simulations from there. Mm -hmm. um, the code has capability to do a Monte Carlo draw for pressure time curve. Basically, we put in seven different pressure time curves. There's a nominal, and then there's plus and minus one, two, and three standard deviations on pressure and muzzle velocity. And when the code does a Monte Carlo draw, it just interpolates between the two nearest ones. And so you've got the, the interaction between the change in velocity and inboard transit time with the barrel structure. So that's covered in there. The other thing that's covered in there is the initial position. And the way we set up the initial position was we said, okay, the bullet is perfectly made, but it's tipped in bore. Okay. Okay. And the tip can be in in one plane if you if you specify that plane orientation and a fairly narrow distribution around the clock. Or it can be all the way around, 360 degrees. So what we don't simulate is the bullet being, say, offset and then pointed someplace else. Okay. But like, okay, that's, that's one limitation of the code. But in all of the studies that we've done through the years, um, that doesn't seem to be a big limitation. And so for, say... Bullets that have a cartridge case affixed to them, that seems to be a pretty good, a, a pretty good method to, to simulate the initial conditions. Yeah, okay. Okay. For artillery projectiles that don't have a cartridge case, 
what we say is the thing lays on the bottom and there's a very narrow distribution of initial positions with regard to the Bohr center line. Like, okay, and that seems to work pretty well for that category of bullet as well. So um, we're provided you can define the system we're working in, I, I think we can do a pretty good job of, of uh, estimating how the bullet starts in the barrel. And the, the simulation has told us that, you know, gee whiz, you know, if you've, if you've got 360 degrees and, and still just a narrow window of angle, you get larger than desired dispersion. So if you want to get dispersion that replicates what we see in testing, we have to really narrow the, the initial pointing vector of the bullet as it starts out and limit the variability in the, in the initial tilt of the bullet with respect to the bore axis. Yeah. So um, the, thing, the thing that we've used over the years um, called the jump equation, you're familiar with it. I'm sure you're familiar with it. No, he no, says. No. <laughs> okay. It's in, it's, in, it's in the book. It's ammunition demystified. It's in the book. Okay. Yes. Well, then and, I am familiar. But. Okay. So, so that equation does a really good job of predicting the dispersion for medium and, and large caliber bullets that are spin stabilized. Long rods out of a smooth bore, not so good provided, uh, and I'm sorry, n not so much provided, but because there's no spin rate, mm -hmm. okay? So things that matter in the spin-stabilized system don't, don't matter quite so much for, for a fin-stabilized bullet. Um, things like the inboard clearance between the, the ID of the barrel and the OD of the bullet, that's not such a big deal within a smoothbore system. Okay. Like, hmm, okay. Um, in small cal, it's still applicable, but the inboard clearances are not so easy to define. So once you, once you get to small cal dispersion, those dispersion numbers are smaller than medium and large cal by almost an order of magnitude, and certainly a factor of five or eight. So the the sort of dispersion that we see with small cal systems is actually very very good and as a result everything matters mm -hmm. so that's one of the reasons that the barrel tuners seem to be able to help in some instances um the numbers that i've made over the years in terms of what sort of group size do small cal systems shoot? What sort of drag variability do they shoot? What sort of inboard angle is evident in recovered bullets? The, the, the inboard angles are pretty small on the order of 0 0.03 to 0 0.04 degrees. Pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty minute. Pretty tiny, yeah. And so it's like, well, how can that, how can that have such a big effect? That inboard angle gets multiplied by the spin rate of the bullet, which is usually a pretty big number. Mm -hmm. And so that means that the initial angular rate, the disturbance of the bullet as it leaves the muzzle, can be fairly large. 
and so that's that's where the that's where the majority of the dispersion comes from for small cal systems is the wobble of the bullet as it exits the tube. Really, that's interesting to know. Com, you know, related unrelated to tuners at all, but that's that's interesting. That's that is that is the the largest source, and uh, we did we did work for the military, and the best correlation was with the angular rate with the yaw. The, the dispersion was most closely linked to the first max yaw. Like, okay. So one of the things that we did, there, were, uh, there was a test that we did, I was involved with, that um, what we did was we've, we, we took the bullets and we put them on a spin balancer. And so we measured the CG offset and the principal axis tilt of these bullets. And there was a, a couple of different assembly lines for the bullets, so there was things that were learned there. And then we took them and we fired them in a good barrel and in a less than good barrel, and we recovered the bullets and measured the engraved the, the length of the engraved sections, and we used that to compute the inbore angle. At the same time, when we were doing that test. We flew the bullets through a series of flash x-ray. So we were able, and they're orthogonal, so they're perpendicular to one another and perpendicular to the flight of the bullet through them. And we were able to back into what's the first max yaw. And the first max yaw is directly relatable to what's the bullet angle at muzzle exit relative to the bore. So that's the thing driving the bus. That's what, that's what drives the disturbance. Okay. Okay, and so the the angle that these things got to was actually smaller than we would have computed by looking at the recovered bullets. Like, hmm, that's a bit of a head scratcher. To me, what that means is the bullet is oscillating in bore. Okay, and that's Getting the, the, some plastic deformation. Uh, pl- you... Elastic plastic. Right. Elastic plastic. So so that's, f- from my perspective, that's evidence that the bullet can, can ballot in bore and can return to a position less than the maximum. Mm. So that's a, that, that is, in fact, balloting. Um, there's... The, the one of the things we learned from that testing was the fact that, and again, military bullets, not lead core, match co- co- copper jacketed yeah. match bullets. What we learned was that the the as manufactured angles, principal axis tilt, was about a quarter of what we saw at muzzle exit. So. What happens during the engraving process is more important, is a bigger swing than, than the manufacturing, which mm-hmm. was a little surprising. Okay, so th- during the engraving or during the balloting, as the bullet interacts with a flexible gun tube, that's, that's kind of the big deal. Okay. Okay. That's the lion's share of dispersion. That's the lion's share of the dispersion. Anecdotally, that kind of makes sense to some of the stuff we've seen, where we'll test bullets in the lab that 
shoot so-so, maybe not so good, and then we'll test them in different barrels and well, sometimes they're they awesome. Get, they get better, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can yeah. Take, take bad bullets and put them, they're bad bullets out of this specific barrel and right. take those bullets and put them in a totally different barrel and they're now good bullets. Hmm. Yep. That's interesting. All right, so how can we uh, transition now into taking what you just talked about and putting a muzzle tuner to it. Right. So what I did was I took this analytical model and, and I put the one pound weight at the muzzle and I moved it. There's the, the, the model has a lump mass beam element model of the bullet and the barrel. And I just shifted the, the added mass at the muzzle in 10% increments between the last two nodes of the barrel. And these are nodes where mass is concentrated in the lumped mass beam element model. Again, we'll have to have you put images yes. okay. images in there. Yep, we can do that. And and so it's really, the for me, it's the view from like 50,000 feet. What happens when you incrementally move that that one pound mass over over the distance of those those two nodes and what i found was for and i looked at three different barrel shapes and i did a whole pile of testing with the um with the um the variation in the initial position, both in terms of the angle and the angular or the rotational orientation, and you had to get pretty narrow on both of those to to get it to replicate the sort of dispersion you see in the lab. So, um, what I found was that we did a I did a benign what I called a benign barrel. It turned out it wasn't so benign, but it's just a half sine wave, a real smooth curve. Okay. Started at the started at the chamber and it went up to some maximum and then back down to zero at the muzzle. So the bore not straight. Just bore is not straight, but it's not it's not real crazy in terms of the the bore centerline deviation. It's, it's very smooth and repeatable. And what you'd expect from a regular rifled barrel? I wouldn't say that. Okay. So this is a worst case. <laughs> this this is no. It's just a it's a benign non-zero case. Okay. Okay. Or what I thought was a benign non-zero case, and then I had two other bore profiles that I actually had data on from from other measured sources, and I can't go into much there. But but basically, one was uh, kind of max max bore deviation about half a thou. Okay. And but it wandered in horizontal and vertical, and then another one that was a little bit more, more like eight tenths, and that one was a little a little worse from a dispersion standpoint. Okay. So the center line of the bore is just uh, crooked. Right. 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 And I and I initially oriented everything so that the curves the the maximum part of the curve was in the vertical up direction. And the results I got were anytime you added mass to the to the the muzzle of the gun, you increase the dispersion. Mm. I then said, "Okay, well, you know, that's a little counterintuitive to what people are seeing. Let's flip this thing over. Let's take the worst case barrel and just change the sign on the bore centerline path definition and see if it improves. And lo and behold, it did. 
Okay. So from my perspective, the results of the of the analytical testing say that if you put if you orient the barrel such that the addition of the muzzle mass, the muzzle tuner mass, makes the bore center line more straight or closer to straight, mm-hmm. you probably can make the group smaller by a lot. 10%-ish was the kind of numbers that I came up with, 10 12%. Okay. It wasn't a big swing. But it was measurable in the analytics. Well, analy- and now that's, let's talk a little bit about the, the numbers, okay? okay? So I'll set up, I'll set up the, the, the run. I'll mash, I'll mash the run button. And 500 simulations of that bullet doing the Monte Carlo draw on the on the pressure time curve, Monte Carlo draw on the initial position and the pointing the pointing angle. What what it does is collect all of the angular rates and cross velocities at muzzle exit, and then mashes them all together and comes up with a dispersion number. Okay, and so that's the number that I've I've reported and that's a huge sample size if they're doing yeah so that's so that's the, that's the other i didn't get fooled by small sample sizes right <laughs> <laughs> so 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 that's yeah that's that's basically the results okay. that, that i that i got and it is common for a barrel to not have a perfectly true bore axis i i would say in all of human Ever. history yeah a, a, a bore center line that is straight to one ten thousandth of an inch has never been made. Okay, so you, everyone, every barrel's got slightly got it's got some crooked. bore center line deviation. And if you affix anything to the muzzle, a suppressor, a brake, a tuner, whatever, and it that that weight pulls that barrel back into a more straight something line, something closer to straight seems to be beneficial. It, it, okay. Now, now I also took the benign bore shapes. And flip the signs on those, and I didn't always get smaller groups. Okay. So I, that's something I'm going to have to revisit. Yeah. In the next few months. So did those findings kind of align with your uh, hypothesis before going into this? Well, I, I, did, I don't know if I had. I didn't have a dog in that fight. I mean, I don't make <laughs> barrels. I don't make bullets. Yeah. I don't make ammunition. I mean, like I'm just curious, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and I did this on my own. Nobody nobody yeah. paid me for this. Hornady V-Match Ammunition. Loaded exclusively with Hornady ELD VT bullets. The low drag design of the ELD VT bullets provide high velocity retention and minimal wind deflection. Initial offerings include 22 arc, 6 arc, 6 millimeter Creedmoor, 6.5 Grendel, and 6.5 Creedmoor. Elevate your varmint shooting experience, shatter records, and make your mark like never before with V-Match Ammunition from Hornady. Right. So, guys, coming uh, to you guys, hearing what Jeff just said as far as the analytics go, does that align with what you had in mind before you started your actual, you know, live fire testing? Yeah, I mean, you know, we had a, Miles and myself had a lot of conversations and, and Jacob and many of the guys, right, that are involved on the technical team um, about the efficacy of tuners, because that's really what's in question, right? You're going to go, because we see this everywhere in the competitive shooting sports. Can I purchase a piece of gear that makes me perform better? Because mm-hmm. if I can, I'm that's, a, that's a shortcut to time and effort in training that will make you better, right? Yeah. They uh, should have like a precision rifle infomercial. 
you turn on the TV at three thirty in the morning because you can't sleep in your hotel and it's yeah bald you know, guy the sham says, hey. hey 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 <laughs> uh, it's the sh- it's the sham wow guy <laughs> shrink your groups get better so uh, higher so anyway and it's Bluetooth you can just push a button that's and, it, right. and it works that's right yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we had a lot of conversations about what we thought from like a foundational standpoint that efficacy could or could not be mm-hmm. and I, I think we all came down to the agreement that adding adding weight to the end of the muzzle changes things like we've observed that it okay. it Thanks. fundamentally makes sense both you know in in theory but also you know mechanical engineering wise yeah um so the the real question is does the adjustment of the tuner allow you to do something now there's when we did our dispersion podcast, you said the, and you're going to have to help me again, the wacky arm. Oh, inflatable wacky arm flailing tube, man. Yeah. So we, we had talked about in that podcast how that barrel can move and there's a bunch of pressure behind the bullet and there's some dynamic things that can occur, right? Barrel motion is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And so that needs to be considered. And so the question was, well, if the barrel is moving and you can try to influence that movement back to your point earlier of cross velocity, uh, then you should be able to make things better. But the thing that we got hung up on, or I specifically did, was the the mass of the tuners themselves that we see on the market and the amount of adjustment they have. How much does that actually change the 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 way the mass sits on the muzzle? And my assumptions were that it's not enough. Right. Like you got to make big steps uh, yeah. to see differences. That, yeah. And I agreed with that as well as my take on it was that the variability shot to shot in just just a pressure pressure versus time curve mm-hmm. was enough to like when you're talking oh i'm gonna move this a thousandth of an inch mm, this, yeah. or even ten thousand. you know most things are threaded five right. h24 and right. ten thousandths of an inch of yeah threads is right so if i'm gonna make this tiny adjustment and that's gonna consistently through 50 degrees of temperature swing and through the you know, just shot to shot variation that you see on, on an even extremely well-made ammunition, mm-hmm. like hand-loaded, you know, top, top quality stuff. Like there's going to be a couple thousand pounds of pressure difference between those. Oh, so, I, absolutely. Mean, I mean, yes. yeah. yeah. In the best case, that's the, the best case. case. So and to say, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to just totally tune this out so that it makes everything better. It's like, I don't know. It, it makes the presupposition that then every th- other thing, every ever one of the other variables that we mess around with with dispersion is is just okay and happy and and benign to this thing that we're manipulating, yeah. and then this is tuning in yeah. that yeah, with you, this all checked it's, out. It's not a it's not a notch filter. It's not like you 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 come up with the correct setting and all of a sudden the the the, the dispersion drops to zero. Right. Yeah. Consistently. Yeah. That's I don't I don't see that happening. Yeah, no. so you have all this variability happening behind the tuner, right? Pressure time curve variability, yeah. uh, principal axis principal tilt, principal axis tilt, center of gravity bores. offset, balloting effects. All of this is happening prior to the tuner ever getting a vote in the dis- yeah. as being part of the dispersion. And the barrel pointing right? variability that we talked about. So yeah. what we're saying is, if the tuner works, then what it did somehow was correct all of those randomized errors that had happened before it. That's what the effect yeah. of a tuner would be. And to play devil's advocate. I've watched people do this, especially on the interwebs, you jump on the YouTubes, they shoot a three-shot group, and it's seven-tenths, and then they make a ten-thousandths adjustment, and now it's three-tenths. They cut the groups in half, Oh, we're Jamie. getting there. Okay. We're getting there, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I'm going to stick my two cents in one more time here. So, to, to answer the question, 
does the addition of the weight on the muzzle affect the cross velocity? The answer is yes. Okay. Absolutely. Does it affect the group size? Maybe. That, that depends on a lot of other things. But I want you to think about one thing. When you cram that bullet through the barrel with a bunch of pressure behind it, you have a big forcing function when it comes to moving the tube. True? So if you hang something on the end of the muzzle, where does that energy and that and that and that addition of that mass changes changes the cross velocity? Where does that energy go? It's got to go into the bullet. Mm. It's got to go into the bullet. And what's more elastic, the barrel or the bullet? I'm just asking the question. I'm going to let it. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm going to let that stay right there. I couldn't give you one. Uh, true? Is it true or false? <laughs> I, think it, I think the answer is C. Oh, yeah. Beat me to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fascinating stuff. J- just a thought. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think before we get, in, get into the actual you know, live fire testing, uh, I think one thing that is we could come as a conclusion this far into the podcast is Hanging weight off the end of your muzzle will change things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for the better, maybe for the worse, but it definitely does change things. And this, we're going back years ago now. Uh, gosh, I might have still been working in engineering, uh, but I walked up to Miles' desk and he's got textbooks open and something on his computer, and he's stu- studying like resonance frequency for cantilevered beams. Uh, so you've been diving into this kind of stuff for years. Uh, Glad you remember that. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was over my head then. Uh, but the same conclusion. I mean, we we might be going back four years now. Was yeah, you know, like that that frequency is a thing, and yeah, putting weight off something yeah. that's cantilevered will change things. No one is arguing that. And again, Jaden, you mentioned this. We have all experienced it. Everyone in the shooting world, if you put a pressure point in the end of your stock on your sporter contour barrel, if you put one of those rubber limb saver things on your barrel, if you put a muzzle device of any kind, suppressor, muzzle brake, whatever, you see point of impact shift and you may have experienced greater or lesser groups, or you might not have, depending on, you know, how many things you shot, but we've all experienced that. So no one's arguing against that. Uh, And I think what I'm excited now to get into, and for the listener, I'm learning with you guys because I... Now that I'm removed from um, anything technical, I work in marketing, nobody tells me anything. So I'm excited to see these results uh, in real time because I have my own thoughts of what, uh, how things work, um, but I'm excited to see this and hear your, again, large sample size testing, not three or five shot or even 10 shot groups, but actual valid group size yeah. with the inclusion of moving things to those settings that are usually laser engraved on the tuner which seem to be every 10 thou or in some cases every thou uh which is just minute adjustments in my opinion um but uh yeah i'm excited to see how that real life testing results that you're about to go over align with the the balloting assessment that that jeff has done sure well so what we did is we we got a a couple tuners and my i did most of the testing on it my goal was to 
test it the way somebody would use it. The way a listener that's contemplating buying a tuner or they already have one, how are they going to yeah. use this thing? The one that watched the infomercial by the bald guy that got suckered in with the Bluetooth <laughs> tuner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so I installed it per the manufacturer's recommendation. <clears throat> and uh, I picked three different rifles to test this with. Um, one of them was a six arc. That was a, a bighorn teal three um, in a manner stock with a proof teal three prefit steel barrel. Yeah. Uh, I chose a six Creedmoor, uh, in a Ruger precision rifle. So just a factory offering, very common. Um, and then I did a seven twist, um, five, five, six bolt action barrel. And I shot, uh, I shot some different ammo through that, which we'll get to here in a second, but starting with the six arc and the Ruger RPR. The 6 arc I tested, I believe it was the 108 ELD match load, and the Ruger RPR was the 108 uh, ELD match in the mm -hmm. 6 Creedmoor. And what I saw between those two was not big differences between okay. the tuners. So I'm going to skip that data for a second, and we're going to go to the 223 data, because I did, I did them in this order, 6 arc, 6 Creedmoor, and when I got done with those two, I really didn't see much, right? I had made adjustments to the tuner, and I didn't see much change in the dispersion. So I thought, um, in, in the most complex scientific wisdom I've ever read that you, if you wash clean dishes, they're not going to get more clean. So maybe the, maybe the dispersion is so good with these as they were that the tuner isn't going to improve it in an observable manner. Right. Okay. So let's pick something worse. So I got 55 grain FMJ bulk ammo and shot it through this seven twist five, five, six bolt action. Good move. It was much, much worse Good. than the other two. So we have the chance to improve things, right? If you're starting with a bad baseline, maybe you can improve it. Yeah. Did you shoot baselines for the 6 Arc and the 6 Creedmoor? Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll get back to those. So so this tuner, um, I did uh, this 5.56 test with, uh, everything was, was suppressed with the test. Um, now, what I did is I shot three-shot groups because people are going to do that. But I didn't just do one and then adjust the tuner. I shot a bunch of three-shot groups at that tuner setting, then adjusted it and shot a bunch more. Hmm. So on this first test I did uh, of three-shot groups, I, I tested three different tuner settings. And I made, I made pretty big movements of the tuner's adjustment. Full revolutions is what they were in, in the indexing marks it had. Now, the three-shot groups, as you would expect from the sample size podcast we did, varied pretty widely. Yeah, like 50 um, to 60% or so 60 with, to 70%. So with tuner setting zero, so this was the baseline setter of the tuner, the average three-shot group was 2.34 inches. This is at 300 yards. All this data is based on 300 mm. yards. Damn. Um, yeah. Con conditions were really good. So yeah. we're not getting crazy winds and all these other influences, right? I did all this testing on a good day. So tuner setting zero, the average three-shot group size was 2.34 inches. The maximum was 3.6. The minimum was 1.0. A lot of variation there, right? I would have I put can get that anywhere from three and a half to one inch three shot groups. You put the one inch group on Instagram? I did. Yep. On the account I don't have. <laughs> uh, so then I changed it to tuner setting one, uh, which was a full revolution change from the baseline of zero. The average group size was 2.5 oh. across one, two, three, four, five. 23 shot groups. Wow. Oh. Okay. Well, the average of tuner setting zero was 2.34 this one's 2.5 so is it worse did i make it worse i don't know eighth uh, of an inch worse then i went another full revolution so now i'm on a third tuner setting the average group size was 2.51 so 
So across three different tuner settings, my average group size on three shotters, really not that much different. Some may argue, well, that tuner setting one was smaller, so it's better. The point here is that the variability in a three shot group is anywhere from one to three. four inches. That's not stable enough to make a statement that one setting is better than the other. So we go to five shot groups. Well, with five shot groups, tuner setting zero averaged three inches. It had a max and min of 2.6 and 3.9. Tuner setting one, 3.2 inches. Min of 1.4, max of six. Tuner setting three, average, 3.2. So all these averages are absolutely the same. 3.18, 3.21, 3.29. The variability, again, exists in a five-shotter. We obviously know this. We did those podcasts yep. about that. But that's what, a, that's what a shooter is going to be recommended to do. So... I think at this point we have to address the fact that can can you think you see an improvement with a tuner? Of course. 100%. If I happen to shoot, if I, if I do it by the way I did it, uh, with tuner setting zero, my first three-shot group was 3.09 inches. Well, that's not good enough, so I'm going to adjust the tuner. I adjust the tuner, the group went to 4.4 inches. Well, that's worse. That's the wrong direction. So I'm going to adjust it again. Then it went to 1.49 inches on the third setting. The tuner, it. the tuner works, leave it on the, on that third setting and run. Things are better. Mm -hmm. However, the totals are identical. If you just, it's not repeatable. So that's in this specific test. If we go, if we go to the six arc and the six Creedmoor, here's the, with that testing I did with the six arc specifically, I did suppressed and unsuppressed tests of the tuner settings and I did 20 shot groups. Yeah, buddy. I let it cool down. Like you can. Rest assured, I didn't allow outside influences to affect the results of the test. Tuner setting zero with a suppressor, 0.85 inches. This is it, or sorry, 0.85, yeah, inches. Uh, unsuppressed, 0.87. So slight difference, suppressed, unsuppressed. Tuner setting number one, 0.73, and 0.99 for suppressed, unsuppressed. Tuner setting three, 0 0.77, 0 0.86. Tuner setting four, 0.99, 1.15. So we see variability even in the 20 shotters, but it's substantially less. Mm -hmm. And it follows the trends that we've seen where we, when we did those sample size podcasts where we said, if you shoot 20 shot groups, the, the expected variation sample to sample to sample, the same test is about plus or minus 10 to 15%. That's exactly what happened here. Across all those different tuner settings, the group sizes varied by plus or minus 15%. That's expected on a sample size of 20. You look at the six Creedmoor data. It was only shot suppressed with one test being shot unsuppressed with a muzzle brake. So tuner setting zero, 0.9 inches. Tuner setting one, 0.81. Setting two, 0.89. Setting three, 0.95. Setting four, 1.0. Setting four was repeated by removing the suppressor and it was 1.2. So we see a bigger shift going from suppressed to unsuppressed than we see across all of the tuner settings. This kind of goes back to supporting that, you know, your analysis and also our assumptions that it seems to be more tied to the weight that's present. The fact that it's there. And not necessarily a, a minute change if there is adjustability in that weight. Mm. So across, across all this testing, I think what... Because a user is going to have to make, or a listener is going to have to make their own decision on whether, on whether they want to use one of these or not and whether it'll work or not. There may be instances where it works. This is a limited test, right? Sure. I tested three different rifles with three different 
uh, loads of ammo. I, th I think if you use the small sample size method, which is generally the recommendations that I've seen from, from the tuner suppliers, you might think it works, but it might not work. So it's up to you. If you want to play the small sample size game, you might get a result that seems like it works. And if you want to go with that, cool. Like, get we're, not, we're not saying you're right or wrong. You do whatever you want. It's America. It's a free country. I don't That's care right. what you do. It's a free um, rifle. However, in a professional capacity, we can't make decisions based on that method. Right? They're, we're, we're running a business. There's consequences for, from doing stuff from that standpoint. So we have to do it in a statistically valid, as statistically valid of a way as we can. Ultimately, you would shoot all the shots possible out of every rifle and every tuner setting and then you would have the the actual answer right mm -hmm. but we can't do that so we're just kind of right. dipping our toe in but the the test data that we have shows that across those three tests the 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 tuner did not make changes to the result outside of what would be expected just from test to test to test of that sample size of result the changes that we did observe that that may be outside of that result were tied to the additional removal of large weight objects, mainly a suppressor. Mm -hmm. Large weight in, in, in ratio to the weight of the tuner itself, is what I mean by that statement. Interesting. So I guess at that point, I would throw it over to Miles, because you've done some, some other testing, you know, uh, with, with the weight stuff, and I think that'd be a good time yeah. to cover that. Yeah, so this uh, goes back to trying to make gas gun work for PRS. Do you recommend that? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a challenge um yeah and that's a separate yeah well subject. what were what were some of the challenges that you were facing that led you to hey how can i make this better um okay so gas gun is very picky in in how how you put the pieces together on the rifle uh it's a lot more flimsy system um like aluminum aluminum receivers i think in general and then you you're putting the bipod your connection to the ground, basically, the, the, whether a shooting bag or a bipod, is directly to a forearm that then directly to the upper right where it holds your barrel. And so, uh, basically, if anything in there gets bound up, if your gas tube binds and is pressing against the upper, like you can see erratic flyers show up. If your gas setting has changed, you can see more erratic flyers show up. Um, there's a whole litany of things that, uh, basically found on accident, but the, the main one as it pertains to this was that I had worked up a load with a four port muzzle brake, PRS, you know, style yep. muzzle brake with 108 grain ELD match bullets, uh, had to go to a match that was, uh, suppressor only like, okay, no, no big deal. I've got suppressors. So I throw suppressor on the rifle and I shoot it and that same load that was easily sub minute of angle for 20 shots like in that ballpark of like okay I'm happy with how this is shooting finally I I feel like I can take this to a PRS match and not have the rifle be the limitation mm -hmm. um that then turned into like a two and a half minute system as soon as mm. I went from muzzle brake to suppressor so sanity check put the muzzle brake back on back to being a one minute of angle system um like okay well that does me no good because i i have to have a suppressor for this match right so i put the suppressor back on and then go dinking around trying different bullets because i got i have a powder that i want to use so I, I go back and try different bullets so going through different bullets i find that i can take the same powder same cases 
almost the same charge weight with a 110 grain A tip. And now I'm back into that submutative angle category. And then just for fun, I throw the muzzle brake back on. And now that's like minute and three quarter to two minutes. Um, and so then I get like real curious and go down in the lab and uh, took basically every suppressor I own and every compatible muzzle brake that I own and shot them all for 20 shots with a, a fixed, you know, ammunition type. Mm -hmm. And then weighed all of those and then got some collar shafts to put like right behind the muzzle device, basically, and then modified a couple of collar shafts and got them all so that whatever combination of whatever I put on there weighed pretty, About pretty close, pretty close. I mean, not exactly like, but pretty, pretty close. Um, and then shot all of those different muzzle devices just as they were, and then shot them all corrected weight to the heaviest one. And the dispersion basically from whatever it was to corrected with weight did not change mm. meaningfully. It, okay. it was basically the same. So the, the addition of just the weight, now it did move point of impact. Sure. Definitely saw a point of impact shift. Yep. Um, and then, so I took then the lightest one, which was the muzzle brake that I had started with, and then just did a stepping of, of shaft collars on the barrel. Um, just put more and more and more and more. I think I ended up with up to four, four or five of them on there. So um and that dispersion wise no change whatsoever through all of those steps but then you could see like uh it the went troop. you could see yeah that it actually went down and then it started to come back up with the fourth one and i i i didn't think to look for point of impact shift at the time so i retrospectively went back and was was plotting it all out um and it's definitely something i'd like to investigate a little bit further uh, going forward but yeah it was just interesting but the the dispersion what as it related to muzzle devices was distinct and repeatable um but didn't really seem to be affected so much by the mass of it it's more just the fact that there something was mass. something something else within the muzzle brakes and suppressors was mm. was causing yeah. that so i i tend to think muzzle exit gas flow maybe outweighs whatever benefit or whatever that that you're getting from having the mass there um and that kind of goes back to like when i said like to just validate a tuner assumes that every other thing in the list is kosher and and we're just looking at the tuner and that's hard to do. It's hard. It's hard to do that because there's other things that you can mess with while you while you try to poke at one thing. It's, yeah. it's really really hard to just poke one thing. Yeah, agreed. The Hornady Click Adjust Bullet Seating Micrometer precisely set bullet seating depth with click adjust in one thousandths of an inch increments and easy to read graduations. It's a quick and easy way to achieve bench rest accuracy and consistency with tactile clicks just like a click adjust scope turret. Easily installed on Hornady custom or match grade seating dies. Take your reloading game to the next level with the Hornady click adjust bullet seating micrometer. Well, let's assume that you have a bolt gun in a universal receiver and you can just poke one thing. Jeff, I think you did some work as far as uh, how comfortable, how many shots it takes for it to make a 95% correct or like. Yeah. So, so uh, <clears throat> for a 25% difference in, in, in true dispersion, now 25%, my book's a big swing. Huge. That's three quarter minute to a minute. Yeah takes you 40 shots 
20 controls and 20 new items for a 25% difference at 95% con- 90 I'm sorry, 90% confidence level. So you're wrong one time out of 10. If you want to bump that to 95% confidence level, it takes you 60 shots. Are you willing to spend that sort of resources to ch- to to prove that prove that change? Some people probably are. Some people yeah. probably are, and and they should. Yeah, if you're going to do it, you should. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Now, is there something to we talked about? You know, the whether it be a tuner or any sort of muzzle device, you put it on there, and and it just happens to pull your bore centerline closer to straight, then you reasonably will see a reduction in dispersion. Is there a, are people doing that in the gunsmithing world where they'll they'll use some sort of indicator Ten. rod to find out okay where their center line lies and then yeah. chamber it such that you're, that is you're measuring the curve of a highway off of the start point and end point though okay there's yeah. nobody that live on the <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah that's a really good way to put there's it. there's no way to that I'm aware of that anybody is realistically wholesale doing mm-hmm. to they might talk about it but it's you might you're only doing your indicators yeah, yeah. On i mean like end. i'm i'm holding it here and i'm adjust even the guys that got the fancy chucks that can adjust angle and position here and then they measure where that times up you know and then they'll time they'll try to time so that the highest point of the muzzle is at 12 o'clock uh that that probably does get the muzzle at 12 o'clock but then everything in between here and there who yeah, knows? No, control over. No, yeah. no way to know so yeah. there's no there's way no to way know to when you put no that muzzle device on if it is pulling your true bore axis unless you have and and maybe this maybe this is kind of moves the state of the art forward here unless you measure the bore center line prior Mm. and the and the and the muzzle and the and the barrel maker stamps it with put this end up yeah when you when you clock it and made it up to the receiver um I don't know anybody that's doing that. No, that right. seems pretty advanced. And yeah, the only thing I've seen done is uh, I know Gordy Gritters used to <clears throat> used to index it so that the so that if there was run out at the muzzle, it would be oriented up. And the purpose for that was to main maintain more adjustability in the optic. Mm. So essentially, let's say if you you indexed it muzzle down, then <clears throat> you know when you zeroed your rifle, you'd have to come up an extra half revolution to get it zeroed vice when he would index it muzzle up you gained a half revolution say just for you know yeah. general general purpose that's the only like intention that i've seen people do that actually had like a, a result that meant something mm-hmm. so yeah i'd love to see what jeff's talking about that would be really cool the it's, yeah so the i have seen um laser measurement devices small cal barrels they they basically position the barrel vertically and they've got a long probe that goes down through the muzzle of the gun towards the chamber and it maps the center line and i it's been a long time since i've looked at those i can't tell you what the resolution is it's got to be under a thou or it's not worth doing right yeah yeah i think we've got some friends in the industry that have one and it's yeah, several yeah, tenths, and, there, I mean, and 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 the machinery is like enormously expensive. Yeah, mm-hmm. or down to the tenth, rather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I need to make a correction. I just realized when I was talking about all those different uh, 
data points on the test. That was all mean radius data. Mean radius data. data. Okay. So that's mean radius at uh, 300 yards. Yeah, which for the listener, if you haven't, go check out the mean radius podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that you guys are using in the technical side of what we do at Hornady to assess things that's more ve- more useful than mm-hmm. just extreme spread of group size. Yeah. Yeah, so and go check that one out if I'd, you haven't. I'd like to say that I have on my website uh, a, a paper on muzzle tuner madness. Okay, what's the website? Bulletology.com. Bulletology.com. Go check it out. And uh, and it explains in considerably more detail the sort of work that I did here. Okay. And um, I, I, I think just from our discussion here, I've got a few more things that I've got to go look at. Yeah. And as, as I learn things, I'll be adding to that. Yeah. Well, and as you learn things, we're going to keep continuing you to get you on the podcast as long as you keep coming through Nebraska. <laughs> okay. Because uh, it's... it's does us a world of good internally and for our consumer, you know, the, t- the really advanced hobbyist, the advanced, you know, technical hobbyist, this is what makes the world go around for a lot of us is understanding what's going on and, and really, you know, a student of uh, external ballistics and, and precision shooting. And this is always a pleasure to hear this kind of stuff. And one, to see, you know, the the advanced computational power that you have access to with that balloting program and then to see it juxtaposed against these guys or just down in the lab shooting stuff, uh, but to see how they really align mm-hmm. well. And yeah. it's, it's neat to have access to, to you and, and to that program. Happy, yeah. to, happy to help out. Another, another thing I wanted to say was, you know, th- there's going to be a lot of comments about this subject and topic oh, because boy. there has always been, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... I think Miles tipped us off the other day in the lab to some forum thread or something where it was, <laughs> it was like getting heated. violent. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but uh, I don't want to discount anybody's experience because um, that's valid too, right? Yeah. However, I I have not seen a statistically valid data set that supports them. The them. tuner settings. Yes. Yeah. That that makes it plainly evident that yes. That one adjustment with everything else being kept a constant had this net result. Everything that I've, I've seen, everybody that I've talked to, it's all based on the smaller sample size stuff. And that's fine. Again, yeah. like if that's, if that's the, the route you want to take, it's understandable, right? Yeah. Ammo and time are expensive. Barrels yeah. are expensive. Um, but if you, if you ask me, should you get one or not, I'm not going to give you a yes or no answer. You gotta you gotta determine that on your own. But I will tell you, in my testing, I haven't observed a difference, and I have also not been presented with independent data that counteracts that. Understood. Say, so additionally, we kind of poked around with some folks that we know that have pretty cool test facilities, mm-hmm. and they have also not really seen anything. Yeah, big test facilities, bigger yeah. bigger than what we've got here. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the ones that have done the research that has defined our understanding of modern ballistics. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's saying something then. And, you know, again, we've said it all, but to kind of bring everything back to a, another conclusion here towards the end of the podcast, hanging stuff off the end of the, end of the barrel changes certainly point of impact, and it can change dispersion. Uh, the individual settings of a tuner, we've not been able to document or predict with the analytical equipment we have that it's going to do anything in those small revolutions it's the physical mass hanging off the barrel that if it's going to do something is that's that's what it's going to be 
Yeah, I, I would say that's a fair assessment of, of what yeah. we've yeah. observed. And I and again, as with everything where we we say stuff, uh, we haven't tested literally every combination. Yeah. We so, know what we know. We've tested right. what we've tested, but we haven't. We don't know everything. We haven't tested right. everything. Right. Yeah. It's within and, the limitations of what we've what we've and seen. How how many how many bullets did you guys expend on this test? I'm, I'm a, uh, well, let's give me see. a ballpark for six arc. I did. I did four different tuner settings, suppressed and unsuppressed, 20 shots a piece. Mm. And then I did no tuner suppressed and bare muzzle. So that would be what, 10? So I did 200 rounds of six arc. I did 120 rounds of six Creedmoor. And then... About three hundred something rounds of five five six. Jeepers! I was in it probably about two hundred rounds with my rifle. So you've got seven eight hundred rounds expelled to get to the conclusion of we've shot nearly a thousand rounds, and you can hang stuff on a barrel and it makes a difference maybe, but the individual settings don't make the difference. Mm. Not from what we saw. Yeah. And analytically, I I'm like way north of thirty thousand. Thirty thousand, and like we talked about at the beginning, you know, the, it, the it, analytical yeah. assessments really line up quite well with actual fields. Yeah. Results. So, so kind of the thing, the thing we would want to do next would be to find a barrel that's been measured carefully, clocked, mm -hmm. put it in a receiver and shoot it and see if we shoot it with that orientation, it shoots better than if we rotate it 180 degrees. Right. That's what we'd want to do. Wow. Well, that's pretty crazy. And then when you put, you said mentioned time and money. So obviously that was your guys' time and you guys get paid to do this R&D stuff. Jeff, you're, you're retired now. So I guess, uh, <laughs> I, I want to know the answer. Yeah. But <laughs> as far as in the lab shooting, that's a, there's the time aspect to that. But if you shot nearly 800 rounds and if you went to the store and bought 800 rounds of match ammunition or even that bulk stuff, you know, you're going to be a dollar around, let's say, right. yeah. or, you know, some of this stuff, uh, sometimes more than that. Well, gosh. Yeah. I mean, the it's 2023. Yeah. Ammunition market well, fluctuates quite a bit. Yeah. Do you guys remember when six, five Creedmoor match ammo used to be $20 a box? Yeah. It's crazy. So my point though, is that there's a monetary value associated with this. If the user, the listener out there wanted to really put the pencil to the paper and find out with some statistical significance, what their results were. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hundreds of dollars of investment or, you know, north of a thousand in some cases, depending on what you're shooting. Yeah. And, uh, that and, means something. And there, there's going to be some anecdotal points brought up of, well, I see these guys using tuners in competitive natures and mm -hmm. they perform really well. Like, Damn right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to name drop Mr. Cortina here. Um, I really like Eric. He's awesome, dude. We've had some good conversations, mm -hmm. some contentious ones too. Yeah. Uh, well, they've been but, really good to listen to and tangential. Yeah, he, he, you guys, I, listeners I, should so do that. I, in, by no means through this conversation, am I trying to, 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 you know, downgrade Eric or anything along those lines. But uh, a lot of people will point to Eric and say, well, if tuners don't work, then how come Eric performs the as well as he does he's a high performer he's he's really good i mean his his track record shows it um and i think two things uh one he's using really good components across everything including that and the tuners thrown in there with that right mm -hmm. but but his bullets are good his powder is good his loads are good his cases are good his barrels good his actions good all that is yeah. good gunsmithing is good 
that's going to bias you towards good performance. Yeah. It's like I've been saying it since we started podcasting. You build a race car with race car parts, you end up with a race car. Yeah. And, and now the other part, though, that I think is valid that we don't think about a lot is, let's say I'm just the average guy. And I look at that guy that's using the tuner that performs really well. And, and I've got it in my mind that they work. And if I buy one, it will make me better. That I have a biased yeah. uh, position to that idea. I buy the tuner. I put it on the rifle and I do this exact test here. Tuner setting one shot a three incher. Tuner setting two was four. And then tuner setting three was 1.5. Yeah, I found buddy. it. I leave the tuner there and I go shoot competition. That process built in confidence, right? I had a bias. I confirmed the bias by the use of the tool. It, it, it produced a better result from mm-hmm. the simple observance there. And I took that result and I ran with it. I've seen over and over in competition. In competitions, whether it's shooting or just any competition Sports at all, in general. the level of your baseline confidence going into that competition can and usually will have an effect on the performance. Yeah. I've been a huge fan of uh, placebo effect my whole life, but you know, in the sports science thing and supplements and, and now in shooting, if my mind tricks itself into performing better, great. Absolutely. I don't care if the supplement worked or not. If I got the benefit of it, whether it worked or not, because my mind is tricking itself, yeah. thumbs up. It still worked. Yeah. And uh, same thing here. Yeah. There's several top, like really, really good PRS shooters that we've talked to and tried to tell them about sample size and they don't. They, they don't, don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They're like, they you, might, they're, you might be right. I don't care. I want to know my rifle's a laser beam. Yeah. I want to assume every time I pull the trigger, it shoots the same bullet on top of the same bullet on top of the same bullet, one hole at every distance. And then they never have to question their equipment. Right. And if they miss, it's a nut behind the bolt. There's a bunch of sports psychology stuff there, you know, as far as getting into the zone for competitive stuff and they don't want, they want to assume their equipment shoots one hole and you're exactly right. They said, yeah, statistically significant means nothing to me. I don't care. I want to assume I put every bullet in the same hole or excuse me, the rifle system puts right. every bullet in the same hole every time. Yep. And, yep. and again, if you're, if you need that level of confidence to perform at a high level, great. Yeah. But we don't want you to be blinded by the lack of science. Right. See what I did there. <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, is there anything else in the world of tuners or tuning um, that we didn't talk about or that you want to cover before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, the only other thing was like at the beginning I mentioned positive compensation. Yeah, let's talk about that. Have have not yet, have still not yet hit it. Um, there's a couple tests that I'd like to do. I'm going to probably end up machining. The other thing too is the muzzle exit gas flow. I'm probably going to end up making some muzzle devices to poke around at that yeah and see see what see what we can find there yeah do you think it's a like a drag thing or i don't know interesting yeah have so, doppler so, will so test. that so that concept comes from uh let's say the suppressed to unsuppressed difference you see okay you're definitely adding and taking weight off we know that that's definitely happening but you're also changing the flow of those gases before the bullet completely escapes and distances itself from them where they can have no force effect mm-hmm. on the projectile. So with the with the suppressor test, how do you know which one's doing what? Is it the weight that changed the dispersion or is it the change in the in the muzzle gases right. as the bullet right. And and so like I guess going back to my test that I did where I tried to match weight very closely and the distinct dispersion characteristic was tied to the muzzle device. Yeah, like to poke around on that a little bit more. Yeah, well, let the let it be known, listeners out there, 
we're continuing to test. And I say we like I'm doing anything, but you guys are <laughs> continuing to test the stuff that we want to know and that likely the listener wants to know. It's not like you're out there trying to discredit anything. You're trying to find out, is there something I can do to give me the competitive advantage? And that benefits everybody when you take those test results and get them to, you know, the masses via podcast or going to the matches and talking to folks. Yeah. So yeah, let that be known that we're, again, you are always testing and that's much appreciated. Yeah. Give a special guest the last word. Probably. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show for sure. We always love having you. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's, uh, let's see if we can't do a repeat. Yeah. On the way back through. Yeah. Hey, sounds that sounds good. good. Is there anything else as far as muzzle tuners or, or tuning uh, that you wanted to leave the listeners with? The tuner can affect the cross velocity in terms of the motion of the barrel, but it can affect the pointing. And, and as and, we and talked about. the pointing about. variability. And it's really the pointing variability that we worry about. Mm -hmm. So um, that's. You know, like I said, the split is about 80% pointing variability, 20, 25% uh, cross velocity. You can make a small effect on the cross velocity, but I don't, I think a, uh, a big, a big swing is, is really, is needed. is really tough. Yeah. Is there any way to help the pointing variability? By straighter barrels. By straighter barrels. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Will do. Let me put that. Yeah. Next time I order a barrel, I'll put that on my order form. I'm sending you a straight one. <laughs> Jaden, anything else on uh, tuning? No, it'll be interesting to see how this is received again. Uh, you know, we're, we're slightly privy to some of the conversations that happen out there and this is a contentious one. So it is. Can't, can't um, hardly I, wait. I've got a lot of, of very close friends that, that swear by tuners and I'm not going to distance myself in our friendship because of that. You know, like I got no problem with it. We're just telling you. Uh, what we found. Yep. So. Exactly right. We're not telling you what to do. We're telling you what we found. Yeah, exactly. Good way to put it guys. Anything else? Nothing. All right. Good. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jeff, especially you really appreciate working us in and guys, I know you're super busy in the lab all the time. So again, thank you. you bet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast about muzzle tuners and tuning a barrel. We'd love to hear what you have to say. You know, this is what we found, but if you've experienced what we've experienced, or if you've experienced the exact opposite, drop us a comment here. We'd love to hear about it or email us at podcast at hornady.com. And again, a special thanks to Jeff Seward, our guest today. Check him out on his website at bulletology.com and his book, which is available on Amazon. That's Ammunition Demystified, the non-Bubba's Guide to How Ammo Really Works. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one.